Welcome to Carrots and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey. I am Nate, your DM, lover of cats, master audio editor, and probably a bunch of other things you don't care about. Don't forget to leave our show a rating and review. We record a few episodes ahead, so as I read these words, episode 50 is being released. Holy cow, guys, 50? We're into book two, and it's heating up. The action, the intrigue, perhaps also fairy lore and some grim tales. Let's find out. Last time on Carrots and Suffering. Our heroes gather at House Lunari to plan their next move, with all the lore and mystery solving they've done. Before our next excursion, there's, I think, a lot to discuss and plan. Leslie Evans brought news back from court that something more sinister than a random beast attack was responsible for the attack on House Drury. The assailants on House Drury was Lord Byron Mason. What? But, but Byron's here. Yes. There would be over a dozen witnesses to say that Byron was here. Yes. Which is why Thomas didn't tell anyone but you. Hawthorne the Cursed Dryad returned to report that the magic Sylpha used to relieve her suffering was only temporary, and it would take much more powerful magic than our heroes have to remove the downsides of a broken fairy agreement. God, it's happening fast. Sylpha takes her hand and her eyes kind of start to well with tears. Do you mean it It didn't really work? Sable got a love letter from Cora Lunari and promptly had a panic attack. Perhaps it's an idle dream, but if you do me the honor of this dance, I would certainly feel like a woman wearing the crown jewels. <laughs> Sincerely, Cora Lunari. Oh gosh. <laughs> Sable has no idea what to do with that. Jessica, Jalen's crazy sister, got herself a boyfriend and tried to cook for him, with catastrophically bad results. And he's so totally going to eat that, too. <laughs> he's going to eat it. He's going to eat every bite. <laughs> so it gets like this kind of strangely pitying look. Our heroes then met and recapped all they learned and debated whether to head into the thorns now or work to resolve some issues in town, like murders, shifting alliances, and power imbalances. All right. Sounds like we've agreed to a three-day delay. At the end of three days, we will meet here and we'll head into the thorns first thing in the morning. Agreed. Yep. Okay. Okay, let's get back into it. Hi, I'm Nate and I will be your dungeon master. Hi, I'm Sandra. I play Sable the Druid. I'm Mandy. I play Jalen the Rogue. I'm Julie. I play Sylpha the Wizard. As that conversation wraps up, Miev says, well, I have to get home and deal with some aftermath and decide what it is or isn't. We are reporting to Lord Mentor. I think we'll let him know that there was an incident and give him minimal details. If he's interested, he'll have to send an investigator. Jalen will say, Miev, one other consideration is that Mentor can call all the champions to him, too, and leave the houses out in the cold. So... Watch out for that. She nods. I'll send the parts back. And Leslie says, I need to get to my job today then. And stands up and says, ah, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to House Drury. And Carolina says, I guess I can, I don't know, stay behind to set up the fake destroyed robot for the investigator to find. And find a better way to secure House Linari, or at least help. Yeah. How about you open negotiations to try to get some temporary support out here. And Miev says, I will be recalling my champions. I can send two of them. That should leave me enough to keep the flock protected tonight. I plan to go home. I'll see if Lord Evans can send any. There's some nodding, and then Leslie, Carolina, and Miev walk out. And Sable breathes a sigh of relief and says, Silva, I know that you trust Miev, but I... I don't share your trust. I don't share trust of anyone outside our circle. I trust the Lady Miev not just because she is family, but because she has given me no rational cause to suspect her motivations. But I think that her motivations are of a single purpose that she has not thought through carefully. We share a passion in that. What if the Fairy Queen can't do anything about these thorns? What if these thorns are simply the natural backlash from the breaking of such a huge oath? It's possible, but 
my desire is to find out the truth. And additionally, I have seen no other noble houses that are interested in the potential of opening up the kingdom for everyone. Sable, I'm going to ask again how you feel about Yennefer and what she's trying to do, and I am not asking with a blind eye to how we are all manipulated by our families. But what do you think she's doing, and where do you stand on it? I think she is amassing power for herself. I think that if given the chance, she'll take this land as her own. What she will do beyond that, I don't know. And I have no desire to assist. Do you want to get in her way? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I want to survive. Are you safe going home? Who knows? Am I safe here? Apparently that piece of paper there says that I'm of winter court. And this is Summer Court. They are opposites, are they not? They're not necessarily enemies. That's it. We don't know. There's no reason that the circumstances of a person's birth, which one has no control over, means that that necessitates that they must be mortal enemies. I wish things were so idyllic. Three changelings a generation. Every generation, there are three changelings, one from each court. I want to know what the function of that is. And we are being kept from learning much from the mm -hmm. ones that still exist. Knowing what I know about your father, I say, looking at Jalen, if he has had the opportunity to complete his task, he will have done so. The fact that Drossel was still alive when we checked with Tree on our way back here says that he hadn't done it yet. And if he's not back here, if he hasn't been back here, if he hasn't sent any word, I, I don't know what happened to him. Nevertheless, he will have to complete his task or renege i don't think anything changes if he reneges it just he just doesn't mm. get what he wants which we are not enemies anymore but part of his deal is that if i become an enemy again he won't have to do anything about it well i still believe in our cause i believe that finding a way to end the thorns and open the land around us matters personally i believe that we would be best served knowing more about how the thorns came to be and, and why they are the backlash. Well, th that is part of what we intend to discover, yes? Yes, and I also have information that might help in that regard. Have I told you about Marigold Verathi? She's the one who started your circle, right? Well, there's more to it than that, as I understand. Marigold is a Verathi, but she had apparently, I suppose, fallen in love with or desired a very strong alliance to the Fairy Queen because they were married. I think they still are. Wow. And that the circle was formed at much the same time, suggesting that they are tied together. I don't, I don't know how, but as I understand from my tree, well, this is how it went about. I, I, I asked what would happen if I chose to dissolve the circle, and Tree answered, how would you feel if someone dissolved your marriage? And so I think they are tied. Considering messengers offering of whatever I wished to add people to the circle, I think that only solidifies it. I've, I've heard many hints that Marigold is still in Fae, but is at the moment indisposed. I, I don't know how any of that ties in. Jalen starts pacing a little bit because that's how she thinks. And she says, someone sent the dryad to make the tree pierce Lord Mason. And I think if we're honest, we all believe that that was the fairy queen. Yeah, yeah. All the indications seem to point to the fairy queen doing that. Maybe something happened to Marigold 80 years ago. Maybe, maybe a Mason managed to break whatever Cold War was going on without actually breaking the deal and did something to Marigold, and maybe the Queen reacted. It could be. But how would that explain the involvement of the King in the castle, if the King is the only one who can negotiate for the land as a whole? The murals seem to suggest that the King and the Fairy Queen were allied, yes? Yes. And allied against the vampires, the Masons. And then this agreement put them on at least neutral terms. Tentative neutral terms, sounds like. Yes, ones that could be broken by an attack, but also ones that gave this land its lustrousness, its uh, beauty, its strength, its fertility, which is now gone. 
Which might be our fault. I can't say that that's our fault. We killed Lord Mason if that was... How did we know? We can't be held responsible for deals that someone else made a thousand years ago or 80 years ago. Before we were created. I have a wise friend who decided not to make rash decisions with her circle because she didn't know what she was going to affect by doing that. Maybe we should have had a little more thought ahead of doing what we did. Maybe so. But I think releasing a vampire lord would guarantee evil. I'm in agreement on this. Another course of action perhaps could have been to awaken Lord Mason from his slumber and see what we could have learned from him. Ugh. He was ancient and lived through all the times. Sable shudders at the thought. <laughs> and Sylpha nods along with her shuddering. I think that though we did not have explicit information about how dispatching Lord Mason would impact the land, I don't necessarily think it was a bad decision. Well, if it does, I'm the one who technically did it, so I'll just take the heat for it. <laughs> Sable just tilts her head and looks at Jalen like, we all made that decision together. It seems a little silly for all three of us to pay for it. That's that's not how this works. Do you think that's why Lady Varathy cast your mother out of your house? I... Because... There are so many ways I could see that going. Because she was with a fairy? Maybe. But again, she was allied with the fairy queen. I would think more that it would have to do that it was not the fairy queen's court. She kind of gives an askance glance at the still rolled up birth certificate that she has not looked at. I think these are all tied. What is happening with the circle? What is happening with the sudden attacks on House Mason? The Fairy Queen's rising hatred of them. The wars that are happening now. Yennefer's return. All of it, I think, is tied together, along with the thorns and what happened with them. I just don't know how. And I think finding out what that original agreement was, finding out more about how the Fae work, and the the Fae promises, and their their backlash when they are broken. I think finding out all of that would be worthwhile. Well, the Lady Miev has a great deal of resources on fairy lore in her personal library. Is that well known? Her father's library. No, and I believe even more extensive fairy lore is kept in Lord Mentor's vault. Yennefer has sent Lorelei, the new Lorelei, and Hester on a quest to find out any lore that they can about the Fae. So keeping that under wraps and giving us an opportunity to see that information and keep it from them might be of benefit. I certainly would want to look at it. So there is an advantage that we have. Another is that we know that, at least I know, that Yennefer plans to make money for House Verathi by creating Fae Wards. Something supposedly she can do, and I would guess members of her circle can. Well, I can do that as well. It seems that she is leveraging her power. And quickly. She also is recruiting people with tremendous amounts of fae power flowing through them. She gave us this, I say, and with that I lay down another cloth satchel and open it up and you can see the amulet within. It glows with fae power. I touch it and you'll see that it's like a minor glow. Jalen will think, may I? So the, the changeling doesn't set it off. Active mm. deals do. So Jalen, I think it is actually about three times brighter than when Sable was holding it. It glows not quite candle bright, but significantly brighter than Sable. And she says, why would I be brighter than you? You have more fey magic influencing you. More great deals upon <laughs> Fucking terrific. You know about it all, don't you, at this point? Well, I know about three. So Silpha will reach out to touch it as well, out of curiosity. So Jalen will hand it off to her. Okay, so in Silpha's case, I don't think it glows at all. I think you're, you are holding a completely dead amulet. I'll say there was a, a sage in town, thin, uh, honestly a bit sickly looking, about so tall, scraggly brown hair, hazel eyes. I don't know if you know him. I'll roll. History? Is that appropriate to see if you, I know the scribe? Advantage. You've worked with them before, very likely. Good thing I had advantage. 12 plus history is... It's a 19. Lorem? Lorem Ipsum? <laughs> I'm never going to get over that name. 
Uh, yes, I think that's how he introduced himself. When the amulet came into contact with his skin, it set off enough light that it was almost a burst in the room. It literally stopped the room in its tracks for a moment. That's very odd. I. So he has a bunch of fey deals, or... Or he is one? She's looking for fetches. She's recruiting these people. Oh, God. You, you see Sylph, the wheels in Sylpha's brain turning as she's like, Byron, <laughs> as an attacker. Lorem has never displayed any sort of power or magical aptitude. You can see why I am concerned. What would she do with them? I don't know. I only know that she is sending Helen and I out to find these people and to send them back to House Varathi and let them know that... Yennefer has a job for them. Well, we know that when fetches go bad, they grow in power. I once rolled, I thought it was a natural 20 when we, we first talked about fetches in the treehouse and had discovered Ophelia was a fetch. Remind me again, what do, what do I know about fetches? Or if you want me to roll again, I will. No, it's okay. They're weak versions of humans and they are prone to sickness and disease but if they find out their fetches, they go bad. They start off with usually animal maimings and progress into human maimings. And they do get much more powerful. So if she gathers a bunch of fetches and tells them that they're fetches, we're going to have a bunch of fae psychopaths running around. Mm-hmm. Fucking terrific. <sighs> so I think that we find a way to do something about the chaos before we go to the castle. Okay. If we can. Well, we have three days. I guess we should probably get moving. To work. To work, to work. Oh, Cora. Now she blushes. What's up? And she fishes out letter that is scrunched into the bottom of her pouch and kind of smooths it out. It's clearly like she had shoved it down in there and didn't want to pay attention to it. And she kind of like smooths it out in front of y'all and points to it. Says that. Jalen picks it up and reads it aloud. What is that? <laughs> it's a love letter. It's a love letter, Sable. Yes, Sylpha smiles. Sable looks honestly, like, disturbed by the thing. <laughs> I think this is Cora's idea of backing up a step. Sylpha looks at the letter and says, It seems to me Cora spent a lot of effort composing this letter, and I'd venture that she spent that effort on it because... She genuinely likes you, but just because a person is attracted to you doesn't mean you have any sort of obligation to do anything about it, ever. What is it you would like to do? Sable says, I, she danced with me once. She. You made an impression. Uh, yeah. I think she is saying that you captured her heart in a way that makes her want to spend more time with you, and... I like seeing the people dear to me happy. I introduced the two of you because I hoped you might discover each other to be kindred spirits and find happiness with each other. If not love, then friendship. I want you to know that you have the opportunity to have things that others have denied to you by being surrounded by people who love you. I wish you were able to see yourself in the, the same way we see you, Sable. That is... A person who's deserving of love. Cora's attracted to you because of the qualities of your person. She believes she sees someone who doesn't judge a person based on their social status. Someone who has kindness in their heart. I was a baroness. So you're not anymore, and she knows that. And she still persists in her interest. She's not interested in the baroness, Sable. She's interested in you. How do you know that? I mean, that letter does not suggest that she... Did she write that letter when you were still a baroness? Does it matter? I mean, she doesn't... She's not writing a letter to me. She's writing a letter to a version of me in her mind. Well, it's up to you whether you want to get to know her and show her who you really are, Sable, and you don't have to. Like I said, just because a person likes what they see of you doesn't mean you're ever under any obligation to do anything about it. You can ignore this letter, Sable, and not pursue it. You could write her back and say you do not have the same feelings. You could do approach it any number of ways. It's up to you. And you don't have to do it immediately, either. You can take time to think about what you want to do. 
But right now I want to help some plants grow and then get back to my house and ask some questions. Let's go do that then. Okay. Plant growth goes as planned. You cast it. <laughs> the plants grow. Ta-da! Da! Mojo. About half of them cause an immediate reaction from the thorns. And you would imagine over the course of a few hours, they will literally recede. If if that reaction is immediate, Jalen will kind of look at Cora and say, well, maybe they don't all work, but half of them working is better than nothing, right? Half of them working is perfect. And she sets out to sort them. Having your thorn cutter still having to cut thorns would probably do well to cover up that something is going on here until we're ready to tell the kingdom more. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it is. We will get to work. Thank you. This is a tremendous service. And then in true incredibly awkward fashion, Sable says, By the way, I got your letter. Can I think about my response for a little while? Like, totally not looking at Korak? Absolutely. She nods and says, Great. Cora, with with a big blush on her face, starts pushing trees around in their pots. <laughs> and you all can, can break away from this and go do what else you need to do. There's a big group coming together to go to court today. If you would like to go to court with a mass of people, there's a mass of people going to court. I will, in fact, go to court with, with the mass of people, but there are several things that Silpha wanted to complete just errands before leaving the estate. Sure, you've got a little bit of time. It takes a while to get that many people together. Silpha's going to retrieve a box from the attic. She she dusts it off, and then she'll like pack up her satchel for the day, put on her traveling cloak, affix uh, her lantern to the staff with it being like loosely covered, and she's going to go first and look for Lord Byron and his, his children. Uh, yeah, so the carriage house that was kind of converted into their living quarters uh, is still overfull. But you can find Lord Byron with all of the numerous Mason children. He seems to have become de facto parent to a lot of people. So he's got actually like children's story hour going first thing in the morning when you come in and he's sitting in a, a stool by the little fireplace. And there's about eight kids piled in. You can see both of both of his are in there and he is reading them a book. What's the name of a, a Fenrir-appropriate children's book? Well, the book that I had given Lord Byron to share with his children was called The Travels of Gull and Vern. <laughs> That's the one. He's reading The Travels of Gull and Vern. <laughs> when you walk in, he'll stand up and hand the book to his housemaid, who you, you recognize because you saw her at their in-town cottage before. She sits down and all the kids go, aww. But she starts reading. She just her, her voices aren't as good. And Byron walks over to you and says, Silpha, how may I be of service? So Silpha presents this box both to like Byron and any any children around, and she says, Well, I figured you've been here just a few days, but children's attention spans being what they are, perhaps they would like some novelty and more enrichment, and I have this box of things that I used to enjoy when I was a child. What a good thought. Thank you. So she'll she'll open up this box and it's got some like wooden puzzles and things like that and some some very shabby books, maybe like a stuffed animal. She says somewhere in here, she pulls out I have parchment and wax crayons and she she wanted to specifically tell toby and annabelle that as as part of my job i write a lot of things for other people and if you were to all draw out some pictures uh write, write a write a story and pictures later i would i would stop by and i could i could write out the words for you and then we could we could put them in a little book for your papa i think he would really enjoy that Toby is around and you can kind of talk to him. He's He thinks this is a great idea and kind of takes the crayons to the crowd of children who stop paying attention to this poor maid and immediately turn and start drawing pictures. The very first picture that Toby is drawing immediately has what you assume is you, but they did give them really big eyes. And a hat. And, <laughs> and a hat. And a cat. <laughs> You're apparently holding Toby up so he can fly in this picture. Toby has drawn himself as just like a giant pair of wings and a smiley face. Hold on a second while we all gush. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's adorable. And we all go, coo. Sofa thinks, this is the most darling thing. The kids devour this coloring set. Part of Sylpha's ulterior motive in doing so is she has her lantern and her, her satchel there, too. And she's she's going to peek at the lantern to make sure that it is not illuminated. The lantern does not illuminate. You are fairly certain that all of the masons are masons, and there are no fairy spies in the cottage house. Good. And then after departing the cottage house, Sylpha is just going to go to the smith and drop off the silver plates that the that Daisy the smith had hammered out. Daisy's going to give me a real weird look when I ask her to please affix it to a chain with, with the gems that she had ordered. Daisy's like, you're the boss. And draw out roughly on a, just with some chalk on a piece of slate, what it is she's going to make. And you can nod approval and she will go off to make it. Thank you, Daisy. I will, I will stop by tomorrow afternoon to collect this from you. Yeah, I can do it by tomorrow. Thanks. And she gets to work. So Sylpha nods and departs and then we'll regroup with that bunch of people heading off to court. All right. If you all want to head into town at the same time, that's convenient for me. Well, J- Jalen would actually probably try to get out ahead of that entourage. She wants to get to town and be a little under the radar. Do you make a special effort to not be seen by that entourage as you go to leave? Yeah, I think she just doesn't want to be noticed. Naked! <laughs> no, she's not naked. <laughs> 22. That's enough to hide from anybody in that entourage. Okay, good. You can head down the road. There is some signs that there were thorns activity in the night. That is normal. Mm-hmm. But you find a like a large dismembered deer carcass that is absolutely huge. Something clearly took it down and ate it, and it is blocking the path. So you know, as you are walking by this thing, that the, the carts are going to get stopped here for a little bit while they clear this mess. But again, you were not out at night. Right. And you can make it into town safely. She might even, like, go up onto rooftops and scale rooftops until she gets to the manhole she wants, or to the alley with the manhole she wants and drop down. Okay. Yeah, you drop into the sewer. The sewer has a different feel to it. The last time you were in here, it was eerily quiet, and it is still eerily quiet. Mm -hmm. As you head into the Thieves' Guild area, there is a little bit of noise, and it's almost refreshing, because just the drips and rats in the distance was starting to to feel a little unnerving. Mm -hmm. In the social room, which used to have room for 15 people to play cards, there are three people. Is it still Ray, Ray, Jordan, and Lisa? They look clean at this point, so you're guessing they haven't started a digging shift yet. But you can see their digging equipment is piled around the room, and they are eating a breakfast of of sort of bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Uh, She'll walk in and say, hey, you all look rested. Uh, Yeah. We uh, we actually took yesterday off, and uh, we're heading back in today. Okay. Do you want to do that? Jalen, um, what do you mean by do we want to do that? I mean, you know, when everybody else in this guild was still alive, you all were sort of bottom tier, so you were on digging duty, but you don't have to be on that duty anymore if you don't want to be. They look at each other, and then Ray looks at you and says, look, Jalen, The Thieves' Guild had thieves, it had murderers, and it had diggers. And while the thieves and the murderers might have thought of us as the bottom tier, we're doing work that's going to save this fucking kingdom. I'm not disputing that. I'm just wondering if you want to be diggers. Lisa smiles and says, It's not about if we want to be diggers, Jalen. We're diggers. Hmm. Okie dokie. Let the record stand, I asked. I don't want to be a thief or a murderer, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone else been down here, or has it just been you? Just us, really. Kylan popped in once about three days ago and took everything in his room and left. Did he say anything? Oh, uh, he said he had a job, and uh, we didn't ask any questions. Do you all know if there's a map of the tunnel, like where it goes? Lisa says, yeah, there's a map. Can I see it? She pulls out a scroll case that's just beat to shit. Mm -hmm. And she pops this cap off of it and pulls out a a very dirty drawing and sets it down. And she says, so it's a little rough. I had to kind of learn cartography myself. But she slams a couple of things from the table down on the edges of the map to hold it flat Mm -hmm. and, and lays it out for you. And she's overlaid the city. In real rough lines. Mm-hmm. 
and the tunnel goes out through the city north. It doesn't go towards the castle. It goes further northwest and goes it goes a ways into the thorns, like a couple miles. You don't know where the end of the thorns are, and neither do they. She says, the, the last time I was down here, you mentioned stumbling into or digging into a large chamber. What was that? It's a cave structure. The rock is hard enough at this point, though. We're still trying to figure out how we want to dig out of it. There's some natural caves that are saving us some time. I haven't fully mapped it yet because we really just found it and then went on a, took our day off. Sure. But she kind of points out to the end of the map and she says, I'll fill it in today. But as far as I can tell, it runs and she puts her fingers down. It seems to be a, a big patch of small tunnels of varying sizes. Many of them will need to be hollowed out to allow passage of humans. And they are not flat, right? Like they... They go up and down and such. Okay. So it'll take a lot of work to make it passable, but it's better than digging through a mile of stone. And they it seems to stretch about a mile in every direction. Like it was a big pile and they go much deeper than they intend to go ever. Could it have been a quarry? She's like, I, don't, I mean, I've, I've never seen a, a real quarry, but I don't think so. I don't think anything in there is man-made. It looks all very natural. Is there a copy of this I can have or is this, is this your only one? I mean, this is the only one, but I can I can make a copy. I guess since we're going to be mapping today, everybody nods. That would be really, really good of you if you could do that. Do you need more diggers? I mean, more diggers would make this go easier. And we used to bring in thieves from time to time to help out. So we're basically half strength right now. I know we always wanted to keep this a small job and an inside job. Okay. Uh, well, let me see what I can do. No promises, but uh, I'll be heading home in a little bit. I can talk to talk to Lord Evans, see if he can send anybody to you. Yeah, great, great. And then she's going to go to Kylan's room. Kylan's room is not as empty as they said it was. His weapons rack and poison rack is empty. What What is in there? You know, clothes, mm -hmm. some personal effects spare paper, a, you know, a bunch of extra cigarettes. The stuff for killing is all gone. She's going to go into the other room where the, I believe there's a door leading to the tunnel and there's like the closet and then there was an altar in there. Yes. Is the altar still in there? Yep. The altar was slid a bit to the side because Kylan- Didn't care about it. Doesn't give two shits about it after Vincent died, but it's still there. Mm -hmm. It looks like Kylan started using it as a table, which you're pretty sure is sacrilegious. So she'll, she'll go up to the altar, clear off whatever's on it, and say, hello? What are you about to do, Jalen? <laughs> Jalen, roll me a d20, just a straight-up luck roll. Four. It is quiet for a long time, and as you are turning to leave, you hear a voice say, Is there something I can do for you? Who am I talking to? You can just call me the rat. You're the one the Rat Pack made their deals with to control their lycanthropy. No, that's the boss. But the boss isn't in. You are the messenger to your boss? Uh, you could call me that. I believe the best term is man of business, but I prefer rat of business. I, I could understand why you would. It's better than administrative assistant. <laughs> Secretary. <laughs> Secretary. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I love it. She says, uh, are you only allowed to deal with the lycanthropy issues? Or did they make other deals here too, whatever they wanted? Well, the boss does any deal that needs to be dealt with, but lycanthropy was the main stock and trade of this particular group of folks. The boss is the lady? Hmm, that's the big boss. Ah, uh, well. You probably just want the little boss. I'm not sure, actually, what I want. I, uh, hmm. understand that there are bounty hunters out in the thorns, and they catch shifters and bring them in for rewards. Seems to suggest that sometimes she will reward rather than grant agreed-upon conditions such that... The bounty hunters have already done the thing, and then she gives them their reward. Is that something that she does? Does she give rewards for deeds done? 
Jalen, 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 what are you sort doing? Sort of. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not like rewards for deeds done. If you do her a favor without, you know, an agreement, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to receive any kind of recompense. But there are agreed-upon prices for certain services. So, uh, for example, the queen uh, pays a small boon of magic, usually a spell that you can use once for a shifter or someone whose life you control. What would be the reward for killing her enemies unsought for? <laughs> I just want to point out Sandra and Julie are both like <laughs> wincy, wincy, wincer I'm, No, I'm, I'm actually not wincing. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I'm wincing. Sandra looks like she's sucking on a lemon. <laughs> yeah, the, the secretary <laughs> says it's rare that she puts a bounty on a person, but typically in those situations, there would be a specific agreement of specific terms. I haven't seen an open bounty on anyone in many, many years. Is there an open bounty on the vampire Lord Mason? No, he's untouchable. Oh. By, uh, by contract, he cannot have a bounty. So what if someone were to touch him? I mean, the queen hates his guts as far as I can tell. Uh, I don't think she'd be upset in any way, shape, or form, but she offering a bounty would break her deal. And lesser Mason vampires? I think anyone with vampirism is covered by the old deal, I think. I mean, I mean my information's not totally up to date. My boss, the Rat King, he hasn't been around uh, in about a week, so that, that's the best information I got. But uh, I know she's been upset about the Masons recently, so... You know, maybe things have changed. I don't think she's allowed to hunt vampires, though. What would she do if others hunted them? Probably pat him on the back and give him a drink. Well, I have to go, rat. Yeah, and on top of the altar appears this rat-faced goblin. Mm. It's humanoid, like it has arms and legs and a body, and it's sort of wearing this little loincloth and torn-up t-shirt-looking thing. And it has the full, like, exaggerated, elongated, bulbous rat nose. And it says, uh, yeah, I'm the rat. But I'm liking this sec rat Terry thing that I just came up with right now, with no help from any peanut gallery of ghosts. <laughs> and I think I'm now going to be the sec rat Terry from now on. Thank you. Sec rat Terry. I can, I can work with that. Anyway, if you need a meeting with the boss, I mean, he should be back any day now. He only has to be here on full moons, but he's, he usually lives like you know just around the corner. So are you, you're not, you're not really here. This is like some weird projection thing, right? No, no, I'm here. Oh, you're here. Okay, huh? Here, make some room on your shoulder. Uh, you know why? Because I'm gonna jump up there and then I'm I'm gonna touch you. Then you know I'm real. <laughs> That's all you're gonna do. Like <laughs> only it's a rat, buddy. Yeah. Okay. And she she kind of she kind of like leans away from her own shoulder. <laughs> it monkey jumps from the altar to your shoulder, lands pretty hard. It has a weight. It is a dense little creature, and it it has a smell. It clearly lives in the sewers, mm -hmm. and it has real hot breath as it whispers in your ear. See, I'm real. Okay, great. Get off my shoulder. Oh, okay, sure. And it jumps back on to the, the altar. All right, well, um... I did not get a degree in business administration <laughs> to be treated like this. <laughs> I mean, really, he wouldn't want to be called the administrative assistant. <laughs> she says, all right, well, um, secretary, I might have a chance to come back tomorrow. I don't know, but maybe I'll see you then. Yeah, okay. Are you the new Vincent? I am not Vincent or anything like Vincent. Oh, okay. Just to just to be very clear. I mean, that's great and all, but I mean we really gotta have, you know, some kinda some kinda go to person, you know, if we wanna get these agreements back up and running. I mean, come on, who doesn't wanna be a rat? I'm sorry, are you asking me for agreements? No, but I I need a person, so maybe you could find me a person? I'm a person. I mean, you wanna you you wanna be the new Vincent? I don't want to be Vincent at all, but I might be the one who's here to talk to. 
just let me know. I mean, I'm not I'm not going anywhere, not doing anything. And he turns invisible again. And it is the mid-roll, and that means fairy facts. Today, let's talk about the most famous goblin of all. You were thinking of David Bowie, weren't you? But alas, no. This is the boogeyman. Now, a boogie is a classic term for a goblin, which is generally a bestial fairy out for mischief. But the boogeyman is special. It's not just any goblin. This is a goblin that specifically scares children into good behavior. You gotta give the brats a good scare... So the Boogeyman is always a single monster, and there's different versions from all around the world, not just from our favorite European region. Here are some favorites. The Puka is a friendly-looking animal that is actually a goblin, and if you try to ride this animal, it will cooperate for a moment before casting you into a ditch and running away. The moral of the story? Don't climb on animals, don't ride other people's horses. Puck is perhaps the most famous, but pre-Shakespeare, Puck is a house Boogeyman, who helps you with your chores, but punishes you if you're lazy. Moral of the story, of course, do your chores without complaining or Puck will get you. There are also boogeymen around the world, like hundreds of them. They're all over. Jenny Greenteeth, Black Anis, Churnmilk Peg, Springheel Jack, the Namahage of Japan, the Sackman of South America, the Man with the Burnt Legs from Egypt, Bloody Bones, or the Jersey Devil from the United States. They're literally everywhere. You can make your own by just telling your kids now, hey, do this thing or this other thing will get you. Which means defeating a boogeyman is actually very simple. Do what your parents tell you to do. Ta-da! Well, let's get back into it. We will return to the caravan so the caravan moves out everybody's pretty sleepy but they get awake pretty quick as you walk it stops to remove this giant carcass from the road which you you brought people for and while it is stopped lady mason walks up to sable and silva Mm -hmm. and says have you two seen jalen around silva will say yes she was at the house when we last parted ways why i could pass on a message perhaps Yeah, I guess I missed her. We would like to offer up some empty parts of House Mason for her orphanage idea. Hmm. Oh. Oh, uh, uh, all right. And Silpha, I know you're currently doing some court work to appease Lord Mentor, but once he's settled back down, I would like to offer you a job at that orphanage. Well, that's a very generous offer. This orphanage, however, would be the project and passion of my Aunt Melise and Jalen. So I think it will be they who determine the setup of such things. Oh, I understand the the pecking order. I, I would like to be a third party, but what I really need is someone who can oh, God. identify and foster the growth of individuals who exhibit the kind Mm -hmm. of mystical talents that you've really possessed. And, you know, they are fairly common in this kingdom. The prohibition on finding and growing those talents has has really been in place too long. I I think you agree. Oh, I, I do. So someone with your guidance and experience would really be an asset. I, I think I'm going to have to do a deception roll because Silpha is internally like, <laughs> like realizing... Oh, fuck no! <laughs> what the agenda here is rolling her eyes inside so hard. <laughs> be like, I want to round up the orphans and make a bunch of vampires. No! But she would like to create a set of little mages who could do blood magic. I mean, it's not totally divergent from the kinds of things that Jalen imagines doing, only she would like different loyalties for these these orphans. Um, oh, excellent. I did very well. <laughs> 22. Yes, of course your consideration is much appreciated, and I am deeply flattered. I will see that the the appropriate parties are informed. <laughs> Great, thanks. I would have broken off when we hit the carcass and everybody had to wait. I would have basically said, well, okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) 
You can get to town. Helena was waiting for you at Socialize. Okay. She's still waiting for you when you arrive. She's sitting downstairs drinking something. Helena has her her breakfast beer. (laughs) (laughs) And is eating a loaf of bread when you come in. And she nods and says, hey. Hey, I'll take a seat next to her. She passes you some bread. Uh, Thanks, I've eaten. Is anything else interesting happened last night? No, I mean, they partied late into the night. Uh, I went to bed at a mostly reasonable time, and it's been quiet since. Are you heading back to the house here in a bit? Yeah, I was waiting for you. If you're heading back, I'm heading back. Well, I was hoping to talk to your sister briefly. Maybe you as well. Although, as I understand, you may not have a lot of information from your little vacation. Yeah, I don't, but Cass probably does. Little vacation. What a way to put it. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else in the middle of a freaking pub. So you head over to the chapel. So we've never been to the chapel before, really, in game. Nope. So you walk into this this large building. This chapel is about 600 years old. And it is pretty big, but it it's not like a towering cathedral. At least 200 people could sit in here pretty comfortably. Mm. And there is altars to all of the major gods of civilization and nature around the front portion of it. So you sort of think of it as like a modern church chapel with pews and a vaulted ceiling. Instead of having this sort of front order pulpit, it's got 12 small altars in a semicircle. The way the religion is sort of structured here is People don't generally dedicate themselves to one god, but worship collection of them. And the favorites are are usually the goddess of civilization, gods of knowledge, mm-hmm. or agriculture and nature are big up here. Yeah, I'm guessing there's no fairy queen here. Roll me perception. Oh, I am so awkward here. I rolled a one. Oh. She's feeling really awkward and kind of wandering around aimlessly, having no idea how to act in a chapel. Near the agriculture god, Cass is sort of sitting in prayer, and she stands up when you walk in, turns to face you both. She appears to be the only one in the room. I give her an awkward wave. She gives you a wave as she walks towards you. What brings you in for a visit? A desire to have a conversation? Do you have a place that doesn't echo this much? Where we can talk? We can go outside. Okay. Are there gardens or anything? No, but there's some domiciles. Follow me. You go outside the chapel and around behind it, and there is very small, sparse room living quarters. Mm -hmm. The actual priest doesn't live here. He lives in a house. Like, once upon a time, it would have been church servants, but now it's mostly just, like, homeless folks, and in this case, Cass. So she takes you into this itty-bitty room with a cot and a drawer. Then Sable will speak in hushed tones, though Sandra will not. Say, can we talk here about your time away? Yeah, absolutely. I'll still, I'll take a look around. I'm not going to do anything magically to see if there's anyone listening, but I will definitely take a look. You don't think there are any humans deliberately listening in. Then I will say, Cass, we know very little about the Fae here. And I think that most of the information that that Fenrir had uh, has been confiscated. Therefore, you might be the best source of information that we have on, on the Fae Wilds and how they work. Okay. I'm just trying to find out more about the, the structure of the Feywilds, how guests are treated, how one approaches, how they interact with the other courts of the Fey. I was never allowed out of the Court of the Moon, which is what the Fairy Queen's Court is referred to in Fairy. It's, it's a wild court in the lands of Autumn. My understanding is that instead of North, South, East, West, there is summer, winter, autumn, and spring. But they aren't four compass points. Don't think of them that way. It it seems that the fairy wild almost lays on top of this world. And so there's a mere version of every place. And the fairy queen's land is, is the mere version of Fenrir. I know there are other courts. There are big courts like the summer and winter, and there were delegates from them in the moon court all the time. There are many other 
wild fae courts with wild fae kings and queens. Some are autumn, some are spring. As far as I can tell, every court sort of has a, a thing or two that they personify. The court of the moon is sometimes also called the court of the civilized beast. I think it's called that because there's probably another court of beasts somewhere out there. But yeah, the, the fairy queen is sort of a self-styled moon goddess of the sort of instinctual tendencies of man. Mm. Anyway, you know, fairies come and go. I know when you enter a fairy's home, if they acknowledge you, then they extend you hospitality. And the rules of hospitality are instantaneously defined by ancient agreement. Without you entering one, you are effectively governed by one. So in a fairy's home, you agree to abide by their rules, and nonviolence is the default rule. Mm -hmm. You cannot attack them, and they cannot attack you. Embarrassment is an option. Shouting matches happen all the time. Mm -hmm. New agreements can be forged that supersede those. But essentially, um, you have to be on your best behavior. I see. What kind of business is done in court? Is it like here? No. So each court, as I understand it, and again, I'm only really familiar with the one court, has a queen or a king. And all fairies within that court have sworn some type of loyalty to that higher creature. And that higher creature's nature is then passed down through them. So in a court of winter, all of the creatures that swear loyalty to winter become creatures of snow and sorrow and cold. So they're not created that way. Fairies pop into existence with a set nature. And the only thing that can change that nature is agreements. And if they swear loyalty to one of the courts, they gain the traits of that court. But they don't have to. The Wild Fae is full of free folk and mercenaries. Did you go autumn? Well, I'm not a fairy. And so my physical appearance didn't change unless the fairy queen willed it to. But when you're in her court, and particularly if you're her property, nothing happens without her willing it. You can eat but gain no sustenance. You can step in fire but feel no warmth. She controls all aspects of the world. You can't sleep unless she thinks you should. Most people in her service end up uh, forgotten. Mm. And so they sort of remain untouched by time. It, it's a difficult existence. Humans weren't meant for that. Mm -hmm. But you weren't. I was occasionally forgotten, even as one of her most devout and powerful priestesses. But I would do things to get her to notice me. All, all of the servants would. There's a trouble in Fae when you're there. Time moves differently, and it moves individually and, and in small spaces. So uh, if, if the queen forgot you and was in your area and aged someone, she would age you along with them. More than one forgotten person has died of old age or regressed into nothing. Sadness. It's not a world meant for mortals. Mm. They do seem to prize having us in their possession. I see. You said that her area is a mirror of this one. Does that include the thorns? There were thorns, yes. They're different. Every, everything in fairy is much more alive, sentient, thinking, reacting. Even the pebbles, the dirt, the grass, everything. Mm -hmm. The thorns are there, but they are ephemeral. They are dreamlike, and they line the edges of your vision. But the more magic you can channel, the more power you have to manipulate the dream in your vicinity. So as I grew in power as a priestess, I was able to push the thorns back. Interesting. The fairy is more metaphorical than physical. Do you think the fairy queen is impacted? Do you think that she is hemmed in by these thorns? I think her power is such she probably can't see them, but her kingdom is certainly beset by them. I see. Did you ever meet her wife? No. There's a spot in the middle of the fairy queen's garden where... Creatures are occasionally frozen, like a, like a prison, if you will. She has many ways of isolating those who disappoint her. But in the center of this garden, there is a sculpture of a woman 
and the sculpture's name is Marigold. But I have never seen a living one. Is this where Helena was kept, or was she kept elsewhere? In that area, yes. Did you ever find a way that you could have opened to get in or out of the Feywilds? There's a grand gate that opens very rarely. There are keys to it, and a guardian. Time around the gate doesn't move, so I never went there. But I am told that sometimes people flee there if they're afraid that the... Well, that they might age out of existence. Mm -hmm. Any powerful fairy can open the pathway. At, at least my understanding is Fenrir and fairy have become very close. They are essentially touching. The veil between the two is extremely thin. Could a powerful fae take someone with them? Oh, yes. It's how most of them get through. It's good to know. Are you going to stay here then? Yes. I think I can set up a brisk business as a healer. I, I think you probably can. Court is fucking lit. <laughs> it's the place to be. Right now, in particular. So you arrive at court, and there are representatives of every family there. A lot of the lords and ladies came in person, which they don't normally do. It is hopping. Lord Mentor is in constant meetings. The way it's set up is there's sort of this, this big room for the king to hear cases and arguments and pleas, and there's sort of space for debate, and then the king makes a judgment. It's so busy that it is really hard to keep track of, of what's going on. Breaks are frequently called and everybody scrambles into side rooms to talk. And you're left with this scribe's desk. So for the day, you've been attached to uh, Lady Miev, who normally isn't allowed in the court, but no one seems to make any objections today. And the first thing that happens is she stands up and alerts Lord Mentor that several of her sheep and a few of her shepherds were assaulted in the night by what is presumed to be Thorns Beasts, given the damage to the, the sheep that they found. But there is no, there were no living witnesses. And that creates a big stir. Yennefer Varathy is here already. She stands up and says, clearly it is time that we turn to magic to save us. We have turned our back on it for far too long, and the beasts are clearly taking advantage of us. And Lord Mentor and Lord Drury sort of combined stand up to sort of shout her her opinion down. And once it settles, several of the other houses say, I do think we need to discuss it, actually, Lord Mentor and Lord Drury. With respect to you, this is um, getting outrageous. And the, the court continues. There's a quick recess called. Everybody splits up. You can tell. Is there anything specific you would like to do? No, I think in most cases in court, Sofa is mainly an observer. So if you stay with Lady Miev, I will tell you what you learn from Lady Miev's perspective. If you break off and follow a topic or a person, I will change the information I offer you. I think Silpha will follow all the rules of court and do the things that seem most appropriate. So she's been attached to Lady Miev for the day. So she will probably stay with Lady Miev. House Varathi and Miev have several meetings throughout the day. Yennefer essentially gets an assurance immediately that Miev is still going to stand with her, that there's a little bit of sort of loyalty testing in the way that the conversation goes, like, well, would you support me if I wanted to do this or that or this? And the hypotheticals get pretty outlandish at one point. Roll me insight. Oh, not bad. 19. You think Yennefer Varathy is going to challenge Lord Mentor for control of the city. She's really good at hinting without saying and implying without getting explicit, but you think she's going to do it. Lady Miev asserts that she's no friend of Lord Mentor's. Miev also meets with House Mason a few times. They are agreed that they're in total alliance for now. Their hopes and dreams are to get the house rebuilt and stay safe from fairy beasts, and they, that seems to be no problem. The Masons run off to try to get the Porninios to come defend them. But with the Masons not actually on their property right now, the argument doesn't go well. And you're gathering that everything seems to be falling into sort of two camps. Either use magic and rely on Yennefer, 
or use swords and rely on the house Porninos. And the Porninos can't be everywhere at once. And that's court, man. It's an action-packed whole day. And that is the end of our show today. Thanks to you, listener. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you found this podcast. If it doesn't have a rating and review function, well, I recommend iTunes. Even more cool, tell your friend about us, particularly if you're like all playing D&D or whatever. Mandy's mom is even listening, which means I should really be cursing a whole lot less. Anyway, special thanks to Todd Ferguson of MyPad Machine for our tunes and Julie at Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo. Three days to get town in order before our heroes head back into the deep thorns. What the heck are they going to do? I don't know. In fairness, I never know. Catch you next time on Carrots and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey. Under the cart. I should have said under the cart. Eh, we get. We don't have buses. We get it. You do have buses. Bugs of unusual size. And apparently the Evans family has a thing for bugs. Some sexy bugs Some in this sexy kingdom. bugs. Oh my god, people. <laughs> buzz, buzz.